Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly. Sponsored by Insperity. HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120, KMOX. Well, happy Friday, St. Louis. It's the Hancock and Kelly Show in for our regular Friday gig. Top of the morning to you, Mr. Hancock. How's it going, big boy? Good to see you. And top of the morning to you, young Mr. John Hancock. How are you? Hey, now, how's it going? Doing good. We got John Hancock Jr. in studio with us, so we're going to spend the whole day with him. If you've listened to us on Monday evenings or this past Wednesday for Hancock and Kelly Late Night, John Jr. always joins us for a segment. He's our sports insider, primarily the NFL uh, but he is, uh, despite uh, an upbringing that could have been troublesome, one of the greatest people I know. There we go. Cotton words, Michael. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. <laughs> what what uh, have you been up to uh, the last couple of days, my friend? Well, we, we took the dog into the vet. And uh, Gus is, uh, has been limping about for the last uh, few weeks. And um, found out yesterday that he's got the same condition in his right leg that he had in his left leg six years ago that cost me ten grand. Oh, so uh, we were uh, in the process of figuring out next steps. Yeah, what do they do? A doggy knee replacement? Or it's how basically they... he's got an ACL tear. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not the it's not a, called an ACL in the dog, but that's right. that's what he's got. Well, he comes from a long lineage of athletes in the Hancocks. Well, you there's know, no that, question where about there's that. Going to be those types of energy yeah, injuries. So, but you know, you can get around on three legs. Yeah, and. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what ensues. Well, uh, we wish Mr. Gus the best of uh, luck over the next. We spent a little time on the uh, uh, snooker table this past week, and uh, <coughs> I don't like to talk, but uh, I was pretty impressive. You played well, uh, beating me one time out of four. Uh, but you you played very well. You beat the international competition two times in a row. Yeah. Well, I don't like to talk, John. But, yeah, I mean, uh, and with all due respect to the international competition, I think I'm undefeated against them as well. So, Oh, did you play the internationals as well? I have, yeah, and Team Hancock uh, representing the USA. We won uh, <laughs> two out of three, I believe. <laughs> we did. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, we, you know, the snooker, what's great about snooker is it truly is a world game, right? It was oh, invented yeah. in uh, India. India by the English. Yeah. And uh, so one of the gentlemen that we play with is an Indian fellow. Another guy's a, a Ukrainian guy. He's, he's really interesting because he's born and raised in Kiev. Uh-huh. And uh, he's got, you know, very definite thoughts about that conflict. By the way, I don't know if you're following uh, closely. And, uh, you know, folks, we have such uh, short attention spans in this country. But the counteroffensive has begun now by Ukraine. And they're chipping away. And the maneuvering they're doing right now is basically like the opening rounds of a prize fight. They're kind of poking on the Russian line to see, you know, where they might have a tactical advantage to to drive. But over the next, really through the summer into the fall, uh, it it could have a very telling impact on how that conflict's going to end up. I think it's going to go on for a very long time. Yeah, unfortunately, that seems to be the case. Uh, They've also not only are defending their own territory, but they're starting to infringe on the Russian line. Uh, And a lot of uh, the military experts, I'm not one of them, is arguing that this particular campaign could set the tone as to whether or not Vladimir Putin is going to be able to survive a war with the Ukraine. Uh, listen to Vladimir Lewinsky or Valensky on uh, one of the MSNBC the other night with um, one of their reporters. You're talk- watching MSNBC. I you? did the other uh-huh. evening. Yeah, uh, they were um, talking about you know he's got a very sobering look about this, but he truly feels like if this particular campaign that we're in the midst of 
could ultimately topple the Russians' invasion of Ukraine and potentially even Vladimir Putin. Well, that would be obviously unbelievable. But you're seeing a growing voice on the right in the Republican uh, Party and the candidates running for president who are really uh, backing off of I don't get supporting it. continuing efforts in Ukraine. What's that all about? Well, I think, you know, the one candidate, Vivek Ramaswamy, I think makes the argument that uh, our national interests, you know, the, Russia invading Ukraine is bad, but our national interests really should be focused more on China. And the Russian-Sino alliance, which is not a formalized alliance, as we learned last week from Jeff McCausland, our CBS military analyst, uh, yeah. it, you know, is, is more problematic for America's national security interests than the Russian invasion of Ukraine. It's an interesting point of view. I don't ascribe to it, but it's an interesting point of view. Well, we're going to have a lot to talk to you about. We're going to come back here shortly and do our regular political segment. We'll get into Donald Trump. We'll even talk about what a lot of the conspiracy theories that are out there related to Joe Biden. We'll talk politics. And boy, we've got a full afternoon or morning of uh, radio for everyone. Hey, welcome back to the Hancock and Chick Kelly show on uh, what could be a pretty warm weekend. The start yeah. of a warm weekend here in St. Louis. Of course, well, you, won't, you won't be here to enjoy it. No, buddy. I'm ducking out of town. I'm headed up to one of the coolest little towns I've ever been to, which yeah. is Saratoga, Saratoga, New York. Yeah. Saratoga Springs. Very nice. There's an old famous racetrack there. The horse racing. Yeah, but I'm not going for that purpose. No. I'm going to see the Grateful Dead or this ilk is called Dead and Company. Uh-huh. They're doing a couple of nights up there. So I will be with you all the way till uh what 11 o'clock with uh the show well i think they've changed the name to chris and amy have they changed the name of the show that they I might they, have. the show is no longer the show but we're gonna crash their shift because they're shift crashers they are um and then john you're gonna come back with uh my substitute later today braxton Payne, on the dave glover show at three o'clock i am indeed uh we'll and be did, back don't forget, we're always on Fox 2 on Sunday mornings at 8.30 for Hancock and Kelly, the television show where you can see our lovely smiling faces. There we are, and we're joined in studio this morning by our sports insider, John Hancock, Jr. of Chicago, Illinois. Welcome aboard, son. Hey, now. Happy to be here, and uh, happy Father's Day a few days early. <laughs> Thank and, you very And that's much. the reason you came to town. Absolutely. Now, yeah. that's love, brother. That is love. That, that is, you is know, love. Family over everything. Did you take the train or did you take a car? I, I flew. You flew. Option C, option C, yeah. Hey, now. Yeah, 40, 40 minute airtime, can't beat it. What uh, does a plane plane ticket to and from St. Louis to Chicago cost these days? Uh, so I bought these in points on Southwest, but usually it's about 150. Um, and if you do business class on the train, it's, you know, that runs you 70 bucks and it saves some, you know, three hours of trip. So I think it's worth it. Yeah, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to drive to Chicago for under 100 bucks. But after you fill up a couple of times and you maybe get something to eat. Um, so good for you. And John, this is our normally our political segment. Let's We're going to get it. back to you to talk some more about Chicago. Boy, we have a lot of questions. But John, uh, obviously earlier this week, we saw the former president of the United States show up in a courthouse in uh, Miami, uh, where he pled not guilty to 37 counts, felony counts of uh, under the Espionage Act. They're not saying he disseminated, disseminated this information, what they're suggesting is under the Espionage Act, he retained documents that he was not entitled to, including classified documents. He was given nearly a year and a half to turn those over, even faced a subpoena, uh, wound up working and asking and questioning his own lawyers as to whether or not they could just destroy the documents or not give them back. 
Um, of course, the Justice Department and Jack Smith is moving forward with their prosecution. Merrick Garland spoke earlier this week. He didn't saying say much. The administration has had a hands-off policy yeah. throughout this uh, entire thing. Joe Biden has yet to make any comment, and I doubt we'll hear from him at all as it relates to the Trump case. And then finally, um, we find ourselves watching the Republican Party defend uh, the president of the United States saying there's nothing wrong with him taking these classified documents and violating. So the there's law. a lot of communication out there about the Presidential Records Act and that the, under the Presidential Records Act, the argument goes that the president is entitled uh, to have documents to review them and so forth after uh, leaving the White House. The problem with that argument, of course, is that the statutes charged in the indictment don't reference the Presidential Records Act. And that line of defense, I don't think, is going, going to be particularly helpful. I think it's instructive, too, that of the 197 documents that Donald Trump did turn over to the National Archives prior to the, the FBI search warrant at Mar-a-Lago, those 197 documents, there are no charges in this indictment related to the ones he gave back, which lends, leads to the belief that had he merely returned all of the documents, none of this would be happening. And I do believe that to be accurate. And we're here because Donald Trump refused to comply with a federal Justice Department subpoena. And that is what led to his indictment. And that's why we're having this, what I think is a very uh, destructive chapter in American history. Yeah, and despite its destruction, uh, the former president continues to say this is a witch hunt. He's saying that he's being targeted by the administration. Um, and John, the political calculus in the short term... Probably helps Donald Trump with now, what, 11, 12 people in this field running for president of the United States. We see Donald Trump with a 50 percent of the support in a Republican primary. Uh, this surely has to be helping him win this Republican primary and ultimately setting up a rematch of what we witnessed just four years Which ago. Which would be horrible. I, a Biden-Trump choice in 2024 is not something for which America should be proud. It was a new poll that came out today in, in Michigan. I don't know if you saw it, but it was a head to head Trump versus Biden in Michigan. It, the polling was 44, 44 uh, with 12% undecided Biden's approval rating in that poll was 39 favorable, 52 unfavorable way upside down. Donald Trump's 34 favorable, 57 unfavorable. You think about having a choice for president where both of the candidates are more than 10 points upside down on their favorable, unfavorable rating. And you got to ask yourself, as a country, can't we do better than this? I mean, I, neither one of these guys, uh, in my opinion, is the, is the best their party could offer the voters in 2024. What's also interesting to me is the Republicans are running against a president who has almost historically low popularity ratings. He's very unpopular with conservatives, not just MAGA folks, but people like yourself, John, who consider themselves to be true conservatives. You, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but many of you think that uh, Joe Biden is a threat to the country. Um, and rather than attacking him on his policies, which many could argue he's vulnerable with, and could build momentum for the Republican Party, they're continuing to come out with this narrative that Joe Biden is as corrupt as uh, Donald Trump, making inferences that of Hunter Biden and all this stuff. Yet, John, nobody has any facts. And what, what, what I'm for is we have facts here on Donald Trump. We have audio recordings. In fact, we even have the man saying that he did it. 
As it relates to Joe Biden, we have the speculation that's coming from Fox News that's being parroted on the floor of the House of Representatives and the United States Senate thing that they're taking bribes. If that's truly happening, let's bring it out and put that guy in jail, too. Well, it's not happening. So, you know, the the discussion point has been that there are some 17 audio tapes of uh, Hunter Biden uh, and a few of which include Joe Biden uh, taking money from Ukraine. Uh, as it relates to the Burisma board membership of Hunter Biden, that's the energy company in Ukraine. And, yeah, I, I mean, I I would love to see these tapes. The Republicans are saying that the Justice Department is covering up this whistleblower and not releasing documents that are not classified documents. And they had a hearing in Washington, D.C. Our own Josh Hawley went after the deputy attorney general uh, there uh, from the Justice Department, I'm sorry, and— you know, if there's something there, it is concerning to me because you have a company here, a series of companies that involve the Biden family, and they have, without question, have cashed in on their government influence. A lot of people do that in Washington. But you do have to wonder if there's something truly here. And if there is, it ought to be looked at. Yeah, it's this whataboutism that's going on. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is we have facts as it relates to Donald Trump. We have speculation and conspiracy as it comes from the Republicans. Hey, before we switch up and get a little more local, I don't know if you saw this, but Karl Rove, who was the architect of George W. Bush's campaign, has played a prominent role in Republican Party politics for a couple of decades has come out with his own uh, uh, letter to the editor, I don't know what you'd call it, a column, yeah. essentially saying that Donald Trump, it's time to move on from Donald Trump. He, This is self-inflicted, now putting Republicans in a place where they're suggesting that, oh, Democrats are, you know, want to defund the police in San Francisco and across the country, yet Republicans are arguing to defund the Department of Justice. His main argument is, is that defending a person who is wrong and Donald Trump is actually torching the brand of the Republican Party. Well, the one thing I'll say for certain is that now, more than any time in my life, we're not talking about issues and ideas. The Republican Party, you know, for all of my adult life, has been the party of ideas. Ronald Reagan ran for office on the idea that we need to reduce the size and scope of government. He had concrete examples, and we needed to buttress our national defense, and that was a, those were the pillars on which he ran and won election. You don't see a lot of talk about issues right now in the news. Everything is it's all about Donald Trump and both parties, and and because it's all about Donald Trump, that is the single best thing Joe Biden's got going for him. If an election for president ought to be a referendum on the incumbent when there's an incumbent on the ballot, and if that is what this election ends up being about in 2024, a Republican's going to be elected president. If it's a, if the election is about Donald Trump, I don't see how we win that. And that's, for me, that's what's so frustrating. Switching it up, the chaos in the Republican Party is not uh, something the Democrats aren't experiencing, at least here in Missouri. Uh, we saw Wesley Bell, the St. Louis County prosecutor, hopping in the race against Lucas Kuntz. Lucas Kuntz was uh, the young man, former uh, military veteran, who ran against Trudy Bush, who announced at the last minute, yeah. came in with millions of dollars, ran a campaign, wound up beating uh, Lucas Kuntz, uh, and then ultimately losing in the elections uh, Big time. to Eric Schmidt. So Lucas Kuntz kind of seemed to be the heir apparent for the Democratic Party, wound up securing endorsements from a lot of the political establishment on the Democratic side, including organized labor. 
All of a sudden, at the last minute here, last week, two weeks ago now, we saw Wesley Bell hop into this race. Now, out mind of the you, blue. Yeah, the he blue. was on the Thursday prior to his announcement. So he announced on a Monday. On Thursday, he was on Donnybrook with Bill McClellan. And Bill McClellan asked him directly, are you planning on running for any other office? And he says, no, I got my hands full, and I'm keeping my eyes focused on St. Louis County. Then he shows up on Monday and announces he's running for president or for the United States Senate in a race that uh, seems to have already been shaped up. I don't get what's going on. I had no clue that this was going on. I'm I'll a political insider. I, well, I'll tell you exactly what's oh, going on, Oh, this ought to be Michael. a good insightful so, conversation. What you've got is a situation where... For whatever reason, a lot of the establishment Democrats they just don't like Lucas Coons. And I uh, get I get part of that. Concern. They don't trust him. He came, you know, where did he come from? How did he get here? Why is he running for the Senate? How's he getting all this national money? He's raising a lot of national money in uh, small dollar increments. And they went <clears throat> two years ago and they recruited Trudy Bush Valentine to to run for the U.S. Senate. And uh, and I think they've done the same thing here. Um, with Wesley Bell, and I think it's pretty much that simple. I think the Bell campaign has stumbled out of the gate, however. Well, they're they're not being seen that many places, and uh, they've got one ad up, and everybody's trying to get Wesley to talk. We're not hearing much. It will be interesting to watch that unfold as we decide who's going to run against Josh Hawley. Hey, when we come back, the Justice Department's poking around on this PGA Live Golf merger or joining it, whatever you want to call it. Thane Rosenbaum, CBS News legal analyst, joins us after the news on KMOX. Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference on News Radio 1120, KMOX. And welcome back to KMOX and the Hancock and Kelly show, also known as Two Hancocks and a Kelly. Uh, John Hancock Jr. Uh, in studio with us today. We'll visit with John here in a little bit. We want to go quickly to the Quiver River Electric Guest Line where we're jo- joined by Thane Rosenbaum. He's the CBS News legal analyst. Mr. Rosenbaum, thanks for joining us on KMOX. Anytime for you and John, John and Michael, sure. Absolutely. So obviously we've all been watching the drama around the PGA Tour and the Live Golf Series. Uh, They were a division of the PGA. They broke away with Greg Norman. It's a Saudi-backed-financed league. Suddenly in the last month there was an announcement that these two groups are going to join. Um, And it's got some huge implications because you have the Saudis involved and now potentially the Department of Justice. What will the Department of Justice be looking into as it relates to this potential merger? So remember, the criticism of this deal was that it was what the term of art was sports washing, right? Which is the idea that we've seen this would call pink washing for the gay community. Sports washing says you uh, talk about a new relationship that you have in order to avoid talking about something more serious. In this case, the Saudi Arabia's human rights policy. So the idea that you could whitewash over that, sports wash over it, by getting the PGA Tour to join with uh, Liv and essentially the Saudi uh, government. Uh, And by doing so, you develop this sort of friendly relationship that end up ignoring uh, the human rights conditions. So the thought here is that, well, why don't why doesn't the U.S. government just bring an antitrust investigation against this merger to break up the merger and in breaking up the merger, embarrass Saudi Arabia? The antitrust regulations, many people may, may remember from high school, go back to Teddy Roosevelt, right? He was called the trust buster, right? So they developed this antitrust law 
that basically knocks out, if you're so big, if your company becomes too big, and we've seen this with Microsoft over the years, IBM, AT&T, when you become too big, the Justice Department's antitrust division comes in and says, we need to investigate to see on size, on scale, whether because you're so big, it's so anti-competitive, you get to control the market, you get to run the table, and it, does, it diminishes what they call consumer welfare. So that's what we have here. We have what's called a Section 2 potential violation. By merging live with the PGA, it knocks out any other competition. And the question is, does it become anti-competitive? So we've seen this historically in the United States. We just never – oh, by the way, we saw it with the NFL. This is not the first time there's been antitrust questions. The NFL once was in a major lawsuit. I don't know if you remember the first iteration of the USFL results. And guess who headed that lawsuit? Donald Trump, who owned the New Jersey Generals, brought an antitrust case with the government against the NFL to say, you're too big and you're knocking out your competitors. Thane Rosenbaum joins us. He's the CBS News legal analyst. And I, that's exactly where I was going. Because Major League Baseball also could potentially fall into that same category. Does this case, depending on how the Justice Department rules on antitrust, does it have implications for the other major sports uh, leagues in this country? So what, you're a Cardinal fan, right? Big time. Well, yeah, I'm a little okay, so I'm this, frustrated Cardinal fan right now. Yeah, I know, I know where this is going. <laughs> you're a Cardinals fan. St. Louis are baseball fans. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing that's very interesting. No, very few people know this. For some reason, I don't know, the Supreme Court carved out baseball as an exception. They literally did decades ago to say baseball really doesn't, should not be subject to antitrust scrutiny because it's America's game. It's interesting because the NFL would totally disagree with that. They said it's the oldest game, it's the American game, it's your summer game. And so baseball, for the most part, has skirted away from antitrust cases. Now, that may one day fall, and the Supreme Court goes, it's ridiculous to treat baseball different from the NBA and the NFL. They're a sport team. But, uh, yeah, there's no question that this could reheat up um, the question of uh, two things. Scale is one issue. When you get so big, it's considered anti-competitive, and that America believes in the competition, not just among individuals, but about businesses, right? So that's what happened with Microsoft, IBM, AT&T. They got too big and they said, this is anti-competitive. We want to get more competitors, more, more cable companies, more computer companies, more software companies to compete with you. So it could, you know, I'm just saying that it's important to remember that the, this is not the first time it's, it's happened to a sports league, but it's the first time it's happened to a sports league that was trying to combine with a foreign entity. That's never happened before. It's also never happened before that the foreign entity had human rights issues. So this issue, you could say, is this really about competition or is this about human rights? Because the antitrust laws are not there for human rights. They're there about consumer welfare and competition. So I could see the PGA making that argument in court. Hey, give us a break. This has nothing to do with competition. You're not worried about that. You're, you you want to just embarrass the Saudis. Well, you know, I was something I read uh, on this topic, I think I saw, where the Justice Department was already kind of scrutinizing the PGA even before this merger. Uh, is this an extension of that, or is this something yeah. altogether new? 
Yeah, really good insight. Yeah. No, they were already all over it. <laughs> you know, Democrats, you know, Democrats would have been pushing the Justice Department. Uh, Democrats on Capitol Hill have been saying, we should not be so friendly with the Saudis. This is ridiculous. Remember, they, they, there was the killing in, New York, in Washington, D.C. of a Washington Post reporter. And, you know, every, the whole world said the Saudis, Crown Prince uh, bin Salman, you know, killed, knocked off one of the, his biggest critics in Washington, D.C. So there's been people that have been pointing out the Saudis' human rights record for years. So when this happened, right, where the Saudi Arabia said, hey, you know what, we have our own. Remember what happened? They started their own uh, golf league and they picked off a couple of the really good players to leave the PGA. And so this became like, you know, anti-American, like you're picking off our players and they're going to play in a Saudi European league. So there was already investigations about this, but it wasn't pegged to anti somebody, some genius decided, you know what we should really do? If they merge, we should call this an antitrust case that we might get more traction on it if we kick in the Sherman Act, the antitrust case, because it might look on, on, on the surface as you know, a legitimate complaint. You're too big. You're like, a, you're the lead. No other possible golf league could compete with you anywhere if, 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 if Liv merges with PGA. Last question for you, Thane Rosenbaum, CBS News legal analyst. This is not specific just to the United States. These same conversations are happening in Europe as well. When you have these antitrust uh, uh, claims that potentially go across the entire globe, does the Department of Justice in the United States work hand in hand or are these separate tracks with what may be going on with the EU or the English, for instance? Can I just say something? I hope these St. Louis audience knows how good you guys are. I mean, that you guys, seriously, you know, I do this around the country. You guys are great. Thank you. Uh, no. Yeah, no, it's true. You guys are super. Um, um, no, it, it, it looks like, you know, that's an irony, right? That all the countries gather together to do it together. That's an antitrust violation, right? If all the countries, you know, because there's what's called a section one violation, which deals with when competitors join together and fix prices to kick out the fifth one. That's also it's a different kind of antitrust. That's called that's collusion, right? In economic terms, four competitors come together to knock out the fifth one. And that's sort of what you're saying is that what if all the governments had come together? Usually uh, all the countries do this separately. Usually the Europeans have much stronger antitrust protections than we do. So that means if we're on it and they're on it, they'll probably get to it uh, first. But let me just say something. Historically, when this comes up in Europe with Amazon, Facebook, Google, they just pay the fines. Companies, you know, they're these giant companies say, what does it cost us? Just fine us and we'll modify our behavior somewhat. But we can write this off and we'll just keep going. So that's what usually happens in Europe. They are all over Apple all the time and Microsoft. We don't do that as much here, but they end up just paying the fines. But no, there's no collusion, so to speak, between our government and theirs. We're not ganging up on them. Well, there's a guest we're going to have back on, I guarantee it. Uh, we thank you for our daily affirmation from uh, Thane Rosenbaum and your insight, <laughs> CBS News legal analyst. When we come back, some thoughts on the city of Chicago as it relates to the city of St. Louis. With John Hancock, that's next on KMOX. Now, back to Hancock and Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120, KMOX.
And you're listening to the greatest radio station in the country. And my best friend sitting across from me, John Hancock, one of the most politically misguided people I've ever met. I'm Michael Kelly, and I'll tell you what, becoming one of my second favorite people in the world is John Hancock Jr. who joins us in studio today. How you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm doing good, Michael. Happy to be here. So you you left us, what, about a year and a half ago to take a job up in Chicago? Yep. What have you been up to up in Chicago? Yeah, so Chicago's been good. Um, yeah, it's, like you said, it's been about a year and a half. It's a bit of a change of pace, uh, but I, I like living in the city. I'm downtown. Uh, you know, it's obviously not all sunshine and rainbows. I'm not going to sit here and say the crime's not a concern. It'd be nice to be able to take a walk without my head on a swivel. Uh, but all in all, it's been a you know, great experience, and it's great time. When we hear the narrative of Chicago, particularly here in St. Louis, uh, you know, we've got our own crime issues, and I think you've even experienced them uh, yourself and maybe even oh, yeah. some things that made you unsettled. But uh, is Chicago the, the the landscape of doom that everybody's telling us, or do you still see people walking, hustling and bustling in yeah, business so and commerce? definitely still people walking around. The uh, city is um, city's going strong. The only time you're really in danger is if you're on the street and you don't see a single soul, then you're just a sitting duck. Uh, but I walk to the office every day, downtown Chicago, uh, get in at eight, leave after five. And I, you know, I stay aware, but I don't feel unsafe walking, you know, a half mile, a mile total uh, in the heart of downtown. And actually driving down here this morning, I felt more unsafe in a car. How uh, so? Just well, we had a, uh, you know, what's the politically correct term now? An unhoused, I believe, uh, come up to the car uh, driving with senior asking for money. Um, and not a soul on the street outside of that. Yeah, I mean, and let me just, as a public service announcement, let me announce that uh, I would be the wrong person to ask for money. Uh, <laughs> uh, Michael Kelly, if you see him out there driving around, uh, you can, he'll probably give you a couple of bucks. You're, you're not going to, you're going to strike out with me, folks. Yeah, and it's a unsettling, right? Because, I mean, it's one thing if people are standing on the side of the road holding the sign saying, hey, can you give me a buck or two? And maybe you choose to part with it. But it gets uncomfortable, and it seems to be the regular now when they actually come straight up to the window and sometimes knock on the window or, yeah. you know, stand there and just stare at you. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you don't want to make eye contact because you don't know where that's going to lead. So it's a potentially dangerous situation. Yeah, I mean, and we're coming downtown here at 730 in the morning, and we're on Market Street, and you, you turn the corner onto Olive, and you look on the street, there's nothing. Oh. I mean, there's not people, there's not Sad. foot traffic. It's a, it, it's not like that in Chicago. No, no, not at all. Um, the Loop, the center downtown area, is pretty dead on um, weekends and evenings. But outside of that, you get River North, and you're still in the downtown corridor. There's people out in the streets. It's a bustling place, and you feel uh, safe as long as there's a crowd. So what have you been working on up there? Yeah, so work's going good. And speaking of the Chicago-St. Louis connection, I want to give a quick shout-out to a Ledoux High graduate, one of St. Louis's own, Brad Surratt, who works out of my office. He's doing a cool charity event. So he does this ride uh, to support charities that support epilepsy and cerebral palsy. It's called the Triple Bypass in uh, Colorado. It's a 120-mile bike ride, over 12,000 feet of elevation. And this is the third time his group has been doing this to raise money. Um it's a cool story. If you want to check more out on it, you can go to uh, epilepsychicago.org. And it's, I, I can't even ride a bike personally. So I, I don't know. I don't know how you do 120 miles with 12,000 uh, feet of elevation change. You don't ride a bike? No. And, you know, I know it's Father's Day. We don't want to, uh, 
you know, talk about, you know, maybe some parental failings, but was never, uh, <laughs> n- never learned how to ride a we bike. We bought you a bike. They, they did buy a bike, in, for the record. We bought him a bike. I took him out and showed him how to, I mean, you know, you John, don't get much more athletic than uh, John, yours you truly. forced this young kid to go play soccer when he broke his hip. No, it was football. It was football, yeah. Or football. <laughs> well, okay, even worse. Yeah. So there's a great story. What was it, eighth grade? Uh, seventh, Seventh maybe. grade. He's, he's playing uh, playing football there. At, no, it uh, was eighth grade. Yeah, Westminster. And uh, proud of my boy out there on the on the on the field, you know, getting after it. And they, he's on the kick kickoff coverage team, and the ball is kicked. You know, in the eighth grade, you don't kick it that far. So all the kids are running down the field, and Johnny's kind of, you know, a mild jog, and I'm <laughs> screaming, "Pick up your legs, son! Get after you know!" And <clears throat> the mother sitting behind me, she says. Is, is he all right? Is there something? I said, yeah, these kids, you know, video games. You, you got So we get home, and I said, okay, we're going we're gonna to learn to run, John. We're gonna, you got to lift your knees. You're going to run around the house three times. I want to see you do it. And so he did. He ran around the house. And my wife says, is he okay? I, look what the, I said, he's fine, sweetheart, video game. So uh, she takes him to the doctor. And uh, he's what? What's the condition called? Do you remember? Uh, it, like code name was Skiffy, I believe. Yeah. So he's got something where the ball socket of his hip is out. Yeah, sliding oh. out, sliding oh. out of place. So yeah. he had to have. So was, hustle up with that. Won't so you? Georgianne calls and she said, "I said, what'd you find out?" She said, "They're taking him to surgery." <laughs> and uh, so he he got a pin put in his a permanent pin put in his hip. What? So uh, that's good. So oh, the story finishes. My okay. Mom. So he gets out of the hospital. He's in a wheelchair for uh-huh. a couple of weeks. <laughs> Saturday morning rolls around. He says, you know, I'd really like to go see the guys at the game. I said, okay. Uh, so this, uh, let me just step in here. I, I went to every game. It wasn't I'd like to see. I was part of that team, for the record. I went to, went to every game. So I, get, I take him up and get, get him out of the car, put him in the wheelchair, <laughs> take him down to the field. And I go up in the stands, and that mom is sitting, still sitting there just shaking her head at me. It was horrible. <laughs> That's parenting. What did you right say there. that condition was? Skiffy. It's like Skiffy, yeah, where the uh, legs falling out of place. It's uh, prevalent in uh, you know overweight youth, and I imagine that's going to be a growing problem given the well, health in this. The country. fact that you brought up the word Skiffy reminds me that you are a Swifty. Oh, yeah. uh, you're a Taylor Swift fan. Big time. I am too. Yeah. Now you've been fortunate enough it. to go see her, correct? Yeah, I saw her in Chicago at Soldier Field and uh, lucky enough to get another ticket uh, with a crew to see her in Kansas City. And the old man, he doesn't get this. You and no. I talk about Taylor Swift no. and we're comparing him to her to uh, Elvis and Elvis. And, 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 and he, he doesn't uh, like Elvis Michael Jackson for the or MJ. He, he, anything post Jim Croce, you know, good luck, <laughs> good, good luck getting him to give it a fair shake. But I mean, he doesn't get it. I don't understand how you can be on the greatest radio station in the world and not have an understanding of the importance no. and the impact of Taylor exactly. Swift. I mean, she's about the only one that still writes her own music for the record. And, uh, you know, it's a, you might say it's a low bar, but, you know, it's cleared. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. That's John Hancock. His thoughts from Chicago. He's also our sports insider. We might talk a little sports later in the show, but the Fed met earlier this week, and they declined to raise the interest rate. What does that portend? Well, we're very fortunate because our own Dave Simons, host of the Dollar and Cents show, is in studio with us. We're going to break that down. Does it have an impact on the economy, on the stock market? Dave Simons knows, and we'll find out after this on KMOX. Find out what's happening with your Redbirds from the manager himself, Oliver Marmol. Sunday mornings at 10.15 on Sports on a Sunday morning. And Wednesday mornings at 9.50. The Ollie Marmol Show on Cardinals Radio, KMOX. 
It's a full house here at the Hancock and Kelly Show. We got, of course, Mike Kelly, John Hancock, John Hancock Jr. sitting in with us. And joining us from the Dollars and Cents Show right here at KMOX is none other than Dave Simons. What are you doing down here? Well, you had to ask. Yeah. Now I have to sh- tell everyone how much of an idiot I am. <laughs> so I filled in for At Your Service last night, brought in my laptop, my little suitcase bag. Oh, yeah. And as I got about halfway out to West County, I get Matt text me, uh, hey, dude, you forgot your laptop. Oh, man. So I had half a mind to maybe turn around and come back, but I thought, it's 1020. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not. I'll I'm just come back down. Downtown. And then I get a text from you guys saying, hey, can you be on at 935 and say, well, interestingly enough, I'm actually going to be that? down at the station. So Isn't that wonderful the way things work out? Yes. You mentioned that you, in fact, have done the bypass that uh, John Jr. talked about. Did it last year. The triple bypass, 120 miles, over 10,000 feet of climbing. Uh, it is the second hardest endurance event I've ever done outside of the full Ironman, which I did back in 2015. That w- that didn't have a lot of pain. It was just a long day a lot of endurance and getting but through the mental challenge. you know because I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna have my triple bypass probably in about yeah, six or seven years well where where did you do your exactly Iron Man at? down in uh the tempe phoenix area uh-huh. so there's a place called the it's the salt river or salt lake there where you do the swimming and then you bike it's three 37 mile loops kind of into the oh, mountains my. there and then it's and then it's two 13.1 mile loops for the the run. So it was pretty much what, all What was the hardest? There. The swimming, the running, or it's the all of biking? It. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Hancock, when you did your <laughs> Ironman? What was the hardest? For uh, well, you? I, for me, it was the 100 yard swim uh, at Boy Scout camp. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they, Had to stop a few times. Well, I, I couldn't get through it. And so I kept going down. And That's so not good it's not swimming. good. And so by the time I'm 16, I'm the senior patrol leader of the troop. I'm, I'm a five foot 11 at that point, probably. And I can't swim, so I'm in the shallow water. It comes the end of summer camp. You were in the Boy Scouts, Dave? Uh, a couple of years. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. They, they have the water carnival the last day out in the lake. And so the kids are doing a mile swim, and they're fighting for the uh, watermelon at the bottom of the lake and pulling that out, and they're doing relays and stuff. My event was the ping pong ball blow uh, ah. in the, in the four-foot water. And so there I am, six feet tall, and I got all these 10-year-old kids around me blowing a <laughs> ping pong ball. I won. You say it was well, a water carnival? It was yeah. a water carnival. You played the circus clown? I blew the ping pong ball across <laughs> the shallow water, and I finished first. Well, Dave Simon, we're grateful that you uh, have come into studio with us. Uh, wanted to talk a little bit of money and what's going on with the market. Earlier this week, the Fed says that it's pausing on its raising of the interest rates. The market reacted by going through the roof. Yet most of the people who are involved in the market tell me, boy, this is a really cautious time with the market. What's the Fed up to and why is the market going crazy? Well, if you ask members of the FOMC, the Federal Open Market Committee, there are 12 members. They wouldn't even know what to tell you, honestly. And you can tell by the vote um, where you had several members saying, "I I think we should be done. You had other members going, no, we should have just raised rates again. And others are saying, not only should we have just raised rates, but we want to do two or three more rates. So I think what they did is they just got together and they said, okay, look, let's just punt. Let's just let's just pause here. And they're doing the so-called skip. We'll skip to the next meeting in July 26th. Hopefully we'll have some cor- uh, more data that comes in from an inflation standpoint, and we can get a better feel of what we should be doing with interest rates. But, Michael, to your point, in terms of the market, 
Uh, I'm surprised. I, I honestly am. I don't have a, a good answer for you why the market has been soaring after a confusing message from the yeah, Fed. And I don't pretend to be a market watcher. I occasionally turn on CNBC. I read some of the stuff. But most of the folks are saying, hey, now's a good time to be into cash and bonds, et cetera, because the rates are great. Yet, if you're looking at this from your own 401k, I mean, Microsoft just hit a historic number yesterday. Yeah, they all, 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 all the big boys, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Tesla, all these stocks are really soaring. My personal opinion, and this is just Dave speaking, obviously no guarantee of this, I think the momentum's with us for a while. I think this bull market rally's got some legs. I, I just sense it. I've been in this business long enough to just get a feel of when you... There's this thing about FOMO is happening, fear of missing out. And you have a lot of institutional big boy investors who have missed this rally. Well, guess what? The end of the quarter's coming up, June 30th. They have to report their performance of the last quarter. They can't have it on June 30th. Ooh, shoot, I was 20% in cash. I missed it. So now they're starting to go in. That's going to pull in the mom-and-pop investors. I'm not saying that the market is probably not a little overvalued here and we're deserving maybe of a pullback, but the market's not listening to me, and I think it's probably got some more upside here. Dave Simons, the host of the Dollars and Cents show heard here on KMLX, is with us in studio. The inflation rate is annualized now at 4%. Yes. Uh, that's obviously good news. Uh, are we at the end of this spike that we've seen over the last 18, 24 months? Yeah, I think you've seen for sure the highest from last year, and I think that number is going to come down. Here, Here's the issue with the Fed, though. They're very impatient. Fed Chairman Jay Powell wants to see that number down to his target at 2%. I think that is too deep. I don't think we need to get to 2%. I think as long as productivity is really strong with workers, you can have low unemployment, strong productivity, and inflation can come down on its own. I think that's what the trend lines are showing. But the Fed is like, no, 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 no. We need to get the unemployment rate a little higher. We need, they'll never say this publicly, but they mean it. We need more people out of work. That means less spending and inflation will come down. I think that's draconian, and I don't think they need to do that. Well, it's obvious because the, the unemployment rate is at a very low level right now, and, yes. and you're absolutely right. At the beginning of these spikes in, in interest rates, that was the intent, was to drive unemployment. Uh, so that's a really interesting point. Uh, if the economy stabilizes here, prospects for growth? I think are very good. And, and you get into the election cycle as well, where typically – the, the year before the election, which, of course, would be now, 2023, and into the election year, those are the two best years of a four-year cycle. And you can see why people are trying to grease the skids or trying to make everybody happy. So we could see, I think we still probably are deserving of a bit of a pullback or a correction. I think the market's a little frothy, but this is not a bubble. I'm actually optimistic on the market over the next year, year and a half at least. Yeah, one of your uh, data points may be the housing market. And the housing market's interesting to me because people say sometimes that's a leading indicator of what yes. might happen. Yet, uh, I was out in St. Charles the other day and wound up pulling up on Zillow. I can't believe some of the prices that are going. We're continuing to see housing prices go through the roof. What What's going on? Despite higher mortgage rates, right? right? It's all about Econ 101 that we all learned in school, supply and demand. Uh, supply is at historic 
lows in the residential area. And because of that, even if demand has come down, supply is down even more. Now, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon because, you know, people, uh, construction uh, companies still have the scars from the Great Recession of 07-08. There was such an underbuilding of homes around the country that we're still feeling that today. So as demand picked up post-pandemic, there's no supply. Prices went through the roof. Supply is still down. Michael, that's not going to change anytime soon. So don't believe the people who think we have some big housing crash coming because prices are up so much. That's not going to happen. And we would likely see those crashes in the uh, Sunbelt states first, right? In Arizona and, and Florida, et cetera. Good point. We So Austin, Texas, the average home price is down 11%. Phoenix down 9%. Denver is down a little bit. But nationally, they're still incrementally moving higher. Okay, one last question from me. Uh, when people get scared of the stock market, they go and invest in stocks. I mean, in bonds yes. and government bonds. We're also hearing corporate bonds are starting to resurge, and a lot mm-hmm, of people mm-hmm. are looking at them. In some instances, they have better value than even what the federal government's offering. I don't know. As somebody who grew up in the 80s, corporate bonds make me nervous. Well, are they these, were horrible, right? Right. Are these a safe investment for people to be putting their money in right yeah, now? Yeah, you look at the investment grade. If you've got double A, single A, triple A, things like that, you're fine. Uh, Michael, you bring up a great point because the bond market, it doesn't get the same kind of notification uh, or notice, but the bond market's also rallying which is very interesting to me. So anyone who's got a diversified portfolio right now, hey, I've got my stocks, I've got some bonds, you're winning on both sides. And I think that will probably continue here for a bit. Dave Simons, uh, people can find your podcast, can't they? In fact, the latest one, it was just released today. Oh, nice. And it's on AI, artificial intelligence. We have a, a terrific expert some of the stuff when was he was it an talking expert about or a computer you talked to. Well, that's a good point. I better go back and check. <laughs> it could have been some robotic chat GPT guy, but boy was he good. And that was just released today. So you can go on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts or whatever, just plug in Simon's Says Podcast. Simon says You'll see it there. That's a clever and, name. And two that? of the best looking guests you've ever had uh were Hancock My, and Kelly. Who would that be? Oh, yeah, you guys. Right. That's right. We did podcasts People on People still guys. listening to us talk about our nonsense. So not only that, I can't believe this, but this was the seventh podcast, only seven yeah. in the last few months. And guys, I would have told you I'd be happy if I got a couple hundred views. Over 25,000 views. That's awesome, Dave. Congratulations. I cannot believe it. That's Uh, Dave Simons. Simons Says is the name of the podcast. Check it out. It's a good one. Thanks so much, Dave. Total Information AM on KMOX. Winner of the regional Edward R. Murrow Award for Newscast. And welcome back to the Hancock and Kelly Show. It's our final segment. John Hancock Jr. alongside this morning as well. Welcome, son. Thank you. Happy to be here. So my buddy, Michael Kelly, three weeks ago, he Mm -hmm. tells me, he says, Hancock, he said, my washer and dryer, they don't work, and I'm going to have to buy a new one. I said, oh, that's a shame. I hate to to see somebody have to go through that. But uh, And he went out, and he found a washer and dryer for his (laughs) lovely little condo there. He was all (laughs) excited about it. And... uh, it gets delivered, right? And I remember well, we were talking about so it. So I went to the Home Depots. There I said were. to the ladies, first thing she says to me, do you have a gas or electric? And I thought, what does that mean? 
She says that it's like a gas or electric dryer. And I said, well, they won't even let me have an, a gas grill. So, sure, it's an electric it's one. It's an electric one. So I purchased me a little stackable yeah. uh, electric washer yeah. and dryer. Yeah. A week later, it's going to come. Yeah. You got the installers coming. The installers come. Guy comes up and he says, uh, excuse me, sir, um, you have the electric washer and dryer here and you have a gas washer and dryer. So well, what does that mean? He goes, well, you don't have the proper electric hookups, but it's a piece of cake, pal. Piece of cake. He says, I'm going to leave this washer here. He says, you get an electrician for a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. They'll put this for. Just put a little outlet back there. A little there. outlet yeah. in there, blah, blah, blah. I get the electric. Yeah. electrician shows up. Yeah. going to be $6,000. He's got to rip it through the wall. He's got to run this stuff. Then we're going to have to redo the wall and all this other stuff. And I looked at the guy and he said, no, no, no. So I go back to Home Depot. Well, they say, sir, you have buyer's remorse. I said, no, I don't have buyer's remorse. It's still, the in the, it's still in the same box. It, it, yeah. It's all yours. I just want the one that, 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 that's got Works. the gas. And they yeah. said, well, sorry, you're SOL. And so here they I They would said, not take it back. No. And now I'm like a college kid. You now own a washer and dryer you can't it, use. Yes, and I've got another one on Incredible. the way. Incredible. And another one's coming. It, They're raining from the sky. Yeah, and this in the is midst why of the this, economy is humming, folks. Michael Kelly's out there yeah. buying washers and dryers like it's nobody's business. And in the midst of this, I'm like I'm back in college because I'm a, I, you know me. I'm a prolific washer of clothes and particularly the towels. Folks, I've so never seen anything like So I'm going back and like forth to my buddy's house running a Chinese laundry. Yeah. Well, you should go to the laundromat. No, you might, you no, might oh, do you know what they put in the laundromat? No way. I'm That's going the, to my buddy's house. Yeah, I, I can't imagine the crew in a laundromat in 2023. Yeah, no. I don't, uh-uh. well, well, how do you do your laundry? I have in-unit, in-unit. It's luxury right. living. Do you have gas or electric? I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I'm just, no. it's, 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 assuming and electric. And by the way, you don't know if you have gas or electric. I got the, uh, well, uh-huh, it's got uh-huh, a... Uh, 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 I'd take a guest electric. I've probably done more loads of laundry in his uh, washing machine than he has. And so my buddy is making fun of me because as we've discussed here on this show, it's well documented. I'm not a person who uses a towel over and over. So I use the towel once. And then that towel becomes my floor mat. And here's a guy that's out there trying to save the planet. He's running water through his thing six times a day. And then those (laughs) towels go to the washing and dryer and, and get cleaned up. Well... I'm about every three or four days having to run that's, to go wash my yeah, clothes. That's what you're supposed to do with the towels every three days. I found that out. I, I used to be, you know, two weeks till it starts to smell a little mildewy, then you toss it in. But apparently it is every three times you're supposed to wash them. Yeah. Well, I don't believe that. What do you mean you don't believe it? Three times. It's, yeah, well, it's a three big, days. Big, that, that big seems detergent. more plausible than what I argue. Because I'm one of those people who uses it once on my body and once on the floor. Here's my theory on the towel. Well, yeah. So you're dirty. Hopefully George Ann washes them. You're dirty. Yeah. You get in the shower, uh-huh. and you walk out of the shower in a new state. And you know right. what that state is? What? You're clean. Yeah. What do you then do in your clean state? You take a clean towel, and you put it on your clean body, and you dry off. Yeah. Okay. Then you get the towel. You throw it up on the thing there so that it dries out so it's no. not the mildew, <clears throat> as Junior would say. And... Then the next day, this, you get in the shower, you're dirty, you come out, you're clean. And you're still getting all the dead skin cells, though, every yes. time you're... Yeah, right. that is false what? thinking that you have. Although I will say, I mean, I, I also end up with a bunch of hair everywhere and the towels, like, as I'm drying off. And Not a problem for it, me. Yeah. yeah, you had to bring up the hair. Now, that's the other issue for me because, uh, you know, I got this Brillo pad of a thing going on, so I have to take a little Is that cream. an Irish uh, attribute, the hair? I think so, yeah. Uh-huh. It's like, so when it rained over in Ireland, it would just go off me like a duck. Yeah. So I, uh, huh. I I use this little cream, you know, and I put that in my hair, and then so what do I do? Cream. I got to wipe that on the towel that's around my waist. Cream in your hair. Yeah, a little cream just to try to manage it a little huh. bit. 
And as a result, now I got that stuff. So what are you? I'm going to get out and rub my face on that the next time I wash myself? Yes. On top of that mildewy smell that clearly is appended to you because I've you never. continue to use the same towel for three weeks? I am one of the best smelling people I've ever known, if you want to know the truth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, it, and the towel is, is irrelevant to that. But there I'm is nothing. I'm impervious to poor order, odors. Yeah, but there's nothing worse than coming across somebody who, who needs a bath. You know what no, I mean? Yeah. And I'm fearful of that. That's hence the reason I take two, three showers a day. There he is. I don't want I don't want to be that. Hey, you know what? He's got, I'm not driving kids to pick up at car car carpool or you know all the other things that are going on out there. He, I'm going to use a little extra water. By the way, I got a biggest river in the world right outside my front water, door. Water there crisis. Water crisis is heading to this country, folks. Yeah, maybe yeah, in not, Arizona, yeah, not right. in Florida, Midwest. not I, in the I got, Midwest. I got Lake Michigan just flowing. Yeah. Well, whatever. Exactly. Uh, it, How often do you even do the laundry? Do you even know when the towel goes down to get washed? I bet not. I bet somebody else grabs it, and they wash it for you, and it gets replaced, and they probably could leave it there for, I the, don't know, a month. In the interest of setting the record straight, uh-huh. let me say this about that. Uh-huh. I do, 100% of the time, my own laundry. Good for you. Take it down once a week. I got the little basket there in the bathroom, little white basket. Uh-huh. Uh, everything, the towels go in there, my underpants. Do you I mean, wash everything, everything together? Uh, the you white. don't sort? No, just do it, the whites. No, the he does them. sort. Yeah, I remember, because I don't sort. Yeah. You, don't, you oh, wash everything together? No. Let me tell oh, you, John, let me, this guy, John. let me tell you about this guy. He's moving to Chicago yeah. a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. He's pulling crap down. He said, will you help me? You know, I got to get all my socks together. I'm going through. Those are my socks. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's my underwear. Wait a minute. <laughs> the, the kids, I'm wondering why I run out of clothes. Yeah. I'm packing it for half, Chicago. Half of the socks in my wardrobe are either my father's or former roommates um, because yeah, I needed socks. I'd run out. I used to live in a house. We had five guys, and I'd just be, hey, I, I need socks for work. Someone toss me a pair and then just add them to the collection. Really? Yeah. Man has never bought a pair of socks. No, in that's, that, no, shockingly, I bought probably more socks than anyone. So they just You keep must going have missing. left a pair of pants one time because your dad oh, came in <laughs> wearing a pair of your pants, yeah, and you're that, a little shorter than yeah. him. He looked like he had high waters on. You could see six <laughs> inches as of his calf. It, well, was, it was early. We couldn't take a, none of us thought to take a picture of it, but we did. It was good radio content. My wife, my wife minutes. sleeps in. I get up early. I get dressed early. When I come downtown, I grabbed a pair of khakis in the closet. They were hanging in the closet. Yeah. I put them on. I didn't think anything of it. I get down here, and Amy Marks course says, "What is going on with it?" I look. No, these must be juniors. Hey, speaking of Amy Marks course, so Chris and Amy are doing this shift crashers. Hard to where say. They're crashing into people's shifts. Yeah. We're going to do the same thing to them today. We're going to crash their shift here because the show, or whatever they're calling it now, Chris and Amy, you know. Have they re- officially changed the who name? Who knows? We're going to find out. And we're oh, they have officially changed the name. All right. Well, that's uh, that's important news to know. I want to thank James O'Sullivan doing his masterful job once again behind the board. John Hancock, Jr., thanks for being with us. Michael Kelly and I will be back after this on KMOX.